0: It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you memory grab just turns just to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger who'd rather cry. It's a dream that you had to reveal. The past note know that it's The of the ship in the sea. If you saw it, saw it. Ready? Yeah. All right. Cheers. Off to the shores. To the shores. Hmm. What are we getting into tonight? <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> I know we,
1: we kind of talked about uh, worldview and values and or conditions. It's kind of some interesting ideas that we kind of had before the podcast.
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. You were talking a little bit about the idea of worldview and what that means, and some of the ramifications of sharing worldviews and the differences between a worldview and an ideology hmm. maybe we could start with some some of that yeah that's really uh, well i think the
1: the worldview thing for me I was, i'm actually reading a book um like what is a worldview what is a worldview well, let me see here um so a worldview is the theorems and theories guiding the conduct of certain individuals and groups as a coherent complex and trying to arrange them as far as feasible into a system, i.e. comprehensive body of knowledge to interpret the universe and advise men how to act. That was pretty dense. That was really dense. <laughs> but basically, so a worldview is, you know, is a body of knowledge and it, it advises you how you're going to act in the world, which, uh... Which is different from an ideology, uh, which is a little bit more narrow and focuses on human action and social cooperation, and it kind of leaves out uh, metaphysics, religious dogma, natural sciences, and technologies that derive from them. So, uh, so it's kind of more. Like I didn't absorb anything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <clears throat> yeah, I think the social cooperation and action thing kind of made a lot of sense to me, as far as like you know. Um, Uh, is you kind of come up on like, okay, you develop sort of a way that you're going to act in the world and, uh, and you do that together and you act in the world, but doesn't really have, uh, it's not really necessarily tethered to
0: uh, a greater macro uh, view of the world. So let's try some examples on size when we're thinking about worldview before we get, to try to parse the difference between that and ideology too much, but like, it seems like the West has a a very broad particular worldview, which is rooted in enlightenment, Judeo-Christian values. Hmm. So we all have a worldview that includes certain sets of, of values, such as the individual is the highest unit of value. Mm -hmm. The individual is sovereign. Um, Above the collective above the group mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about something else, and i, I just blanked on it. <laughs> it as a second example um,
1: maybe like the eastern a uh, more broad eastern perspective would be the values the collective over the individual um, where you know, you're you're just sort of sacrifice yourself for your family or your social group, and the social group has a higher value in that. In in Eastern cultures, okay. And that's those are really broad generalizations, but they tend to be fairly true.
0: Mm-hmm. Another, could this be a worldview? It's better to be good than evil. Yeah,
1: I think so. Um, that's hard I mean yeah it could be a, it could be a,
0: an aspect of your worldview oh here's the one I was thinking of um, so I've heard the case basically made that among on either side of the sort of climate change debate mm-hmm. there are two sort of axiomatic views worldviews by which you approach that conversation mm-hmm. And one um, says that human flourishing is important, is the most important thing, mm. and the other says that protecting the environment is the most important thing. Mm. And depending on which one of those things you think is more important, that sort of downstream guides all of your thoughts on, on um, you know, certain policies and actions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or even that you, uh, I guess even in the conversation of racism, like uh, racism or anti-racism, it's, uh, or it's not, not racist and racist. It's, a, uh, you have to, your worldview consists of, uh, you, how geez, now I don't know if I can do that. We've, we haven't covered this one in a long time. <laughs> I'll back off of that one right now. Uh, Yeah, but going to the uh, environmental one, uh, that does definitely, because you're, anything that, any conclusions that you're going to come to usually have one of those two things as its, as it's higher mm-hmm. calling or higher right. um, aspect to what you're trying to attain. So worldview definitely seems like it has that, It's it's sort of like it's the ends almost, would you
0: say? Well, I would say, it is the the set of sort of presumptions or presuppositions like axiomatic, Mm -hmm. like the things that sort of serve as an axiomatic bedrock to your thinking. Mm -hmm. But I think those are derived from a higher end. Gotcha. Whether we know that they're derived from that or not. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's why I think that the West broadly has a worldview Mm -hmm. because the West is rooted in those judeo-christian values whether you are a jew or a christian or not whether Mm -hmm. you think that's all bogus and made up or not Mm -hmm. it's like you know the golden rule love your neighbor as yourself Mm -hmm. like that's it's kind of an american value yeah you know whether you believe that that came from the bible or not Mm -hmm. or whether you believe in the bible or not you know yeah all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of that sort of. And, and man is created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the whole ideal of the individual is sovereign. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, from that you get some really w- wild downstream effects. Like, what's that quote from? I don't know who it was. One of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, or something, mm-hmm. who said it. It is better that. Uh, a thousand guilty man go free, then one innocent man be convicted. Mm. It's like the the elevation and preservation of the innocent in an in individual is, a, is the highest value. Mm-hmm. Or even the idea that someone is innocent until proven guilty. So if you really think about that, it's such a an unnatural thing to say. You know, if if we're in a group of 10 people and nine of the people think the one person is guilty of something, Mm -hmm. what, what does proof matter? We have everything we need to know here, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And
1: yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting, because the nine have to prove the guilt
0: of the, of the one rather than the one has to prove, prove the innocence. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the, this is treating people, these it, these are laws that are treating people as if they are of ultimate value, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is the same thing as to say, created in the image of God. Yeah.
1: yeah there's something divine or mm-hmm. special about the individual. Yeah. So, we
0: have a worldview mm-hmm. that's shared in the West, or was, mm-hmm. that might be changing. It does
1: say, what would you... maybe? Maybe we could also. What are some of the worldviews that are? Would you say that uh, that we're changing to, or some of the things that maybe challenging that worldview is sort sort of the that's the sovereign
0: individual. Well, <clears throat> I think all of the sort of critical, critical X, critical Y, mm-hmm. critical race theory, critical social justice, are challenging that. And saying no these, this is the lens through which you should see everything. Mm. you shouldn't look at a person and see an individual, you should look at a person and see a member of a group. Mm. you know you know Derek Chauvin was in the court of public opinion convicted of racist murder, you know, even though no accusation was legally brought uh, as uh, or evidence given to support that mm-hmm. um but that was the lens that culture wanted to see it through. Whatever happened? Did, that, did anything happen to that? I haven't heard anything about him in a long time. Like, you know, and convicted? that's not to say whether he was guilty or not. I'm just saying that w- we were looking at it broadly. Society was looking at it through a very particular lens. Mm. And, or not was and that true lens, the I think, life. is a worldview. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you see the world? Mm. What frame of reference do you see it through? Because frames of reference are... Wildly important. Like Hmm. I sent you this uh, post on Instagram where there's like a camera like maybe midway in the middle of a train car going Uh, down a train track. At something like it looks like about 100 miles an hour, you know, and then the camera zooms in like doubles its zoom and it looks like the train slows down. Hmm. And then it doubles the zoom again and it looks like the train slows down more. And then if you zoom all the way into where you can't, you can no longer see the train or anything close to you passing by, all you can kind of see is the horizon. It almost looks like you're not moving at all. Hmm. And this is all just from a, a particular vantage point that doesn't change We hmm. just change the frame of reference. Yeah. So what you look through changes what you see.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think that's why, I mean, again, like, innocent until proven guilty. I think that's something that we did see in the whole, we, you know, it, it, whether or not it was true that it was, uh, uh, you know, Chauvin was a, uh, was a racist and all that kind of stuff. It's really hard to jump to those conclusions right away, even though it's like we almost shouldn't. And it's like, okay, our first conclusion that we're going to jump to is this man's innocent until he's proven
0: guilty. Well, actually, maybe this brings the point home. I was, I was reading you this quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Four Loves. Mm-hmm. He says um, something like, uh, humans have a tendency to want to praise and dispraise rather than to define and describe. Mm-hmm. And the legal system is supposed to define and describe. It's like removing the bias, removing the... Um, well it's interesting I want to say removing the judgment but ultimately that's what we see in the legal system as judgment it's like the removal of bias so we can actually judge Mm -hmm. the the thing that I think the reason that that's so astounding that we arrived at that in the legal system innocent until proven guilty it's the prerogative is on the accuser to prove the the guilt not on the innocent to prove the innocence Mm -hmm. and that's amazing because you really do have to remove the the Mm pre-judgment. But I think that it's so unnatural because we do see everything through a worldview. We see everything through a lens. We see everything through a set of values. And so, you know, I think about Lewis saying, we want to praise and dispraise rather than define and describe. And I think, well, I think the reason that that is, is because a description of something doesn't have any value. A definition of something doesn't have any value. It isn't until the description and the definition are employed by a system of values Mm -hmm. that they can be useful. So you have to remove something from a system of values in order to figure out what it is and then apply it to the system of values. But without the system of values, it's all kind of meaningless, You know, it's like I asked this question a moment ago, what, you know, is it better to be good than evil? And I think a lot about, of any given circumstance, like, how do you decide whether something's right or wrong? I think it, you have to have a system of values with which to judge something against. Is something right or wrong? Well, it depends on what you want. And what you want
1: is a system of values. I think it's about that one, the good and evil one kind of stumped me because, uh, it depends on what you define as what is good and evil. You know, if your worldview defines something that I think is good as evil, you know, mm-hmm. then in that worldview, I would say it'd be better to be evil, you know, but, uh, you know, so I think some, somehow your worldview defines what is good and evil. Like, you would say, in this instance, in the West, we'd say, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Well, that is that is good in that it preserves the innocence of the individual, and you must you have to make a case to to prove their uh, guilt. And so, I would say that is good. Or someone else might say, "Oh, that's evil," because we know that person did that like oh do you we know well, what
0: tells us well, we just know i mean look at it <laughs> mm-hmm. you know he just looks like he's yeah it uh, he just looks like he's bad well another example that i think is a little less um contentious well maybe maybe it's just more evolutionarily ingrained which mm-hmm. is like Like, should you want the species to propagate? And I can, I, I can tell you kind of how I got here to this. Like, I'm trying to decide if I want to go down this road. Um, you know, so let's take homosexuality. Like, is it good or bad to be homosexual? And I'll just preface right out the start here. Like, I'm using this as a thought experiment because I don't think that homosexuality is at root a choice. So it's a little bit off the table, you know, because if, if I, within my system, within the Western system of value that the individual is sovereign, mm-hmm. and the individual is the highest unit of value. Um, then the judgment has already been passed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's up to you. Yeah. Two consenting individuals. Right. Like that's your prerogative. So, but there's other ways that you can, and that people do judge homosexuality. Like mm-hmm. historically, um, you know, people will say, well, the Bible says something about it and it says it's wrong. So we think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another, um, there's another way to look at it. This is a very narrow way to look at it as well, but well, should, should society care about the propagation of the species? You know, so if you're asking a question like, should we want more or less people to be homosexual? I think the answer is we we shouldn't want either. Like, it's... You know, but if you were to say, like, would it be good for half the population to be homosexual? And, you know, how do you judge that? Mm -hmm. How can you... How can you judge that? You have to apply it against some system of values. So you could take the system of, well, if half the so, the homeless, the population is no, not producing children, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, for the people in the society, it's sort of neither. It's not necessarily a good or bad thing. But if you take a look at the society across generations mm. and that society starts to dwindle because the uh, child replacement rate is low because of the chosen sexual activity of its constituents, then, you know, well that iterated game is going to end and that society will go away. Mm -hmm. So is it good or bad? You know, well, it depends on whether or not you want your society to keep keep going. Mm -hmm. Such a dangerous, I have all these caveats (laughs) on my mind. It's like, (laughs) I'm not saying homosexuality will stop something from society from going. I'm just saying like, if you were to ask a a arbitrary, like a hypothetical question, like, would it be good for half that 50% of people to be, you know, homosexual?
1: I mean, or you could just even say like 50% of the people abort their uh, babies. Sure. You know, it's like, I mean,
0: I think there's a lot of, and this is a valid, go ahead. I was going to say it's a valid, this is a valid worldview because this is what gets us into the worldview. I think there are lots of people right now who say we should not want to propagate the species. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of people who say, I'm not going to have a kid. How could I bring a kid into a world like this? Yeah. You know, with, climate change and trump and you know uh, racism and all of these things mm-hmm. and they look at this and say no you shouldn't have kids that's a cruelty to those kids and so you know you arrive at this worldview that you sh- the species sh- should not propagate well that's an interesting worldview to arrive at because if you stick with that worldview and if everyone adopts that worldview well the game ends we don't keep to keep playing. That's a worldview, an extinguishing worldview, when taken to its final conclusion. Which kind of comes back to your climate thing too—is the worldview of like
1: human flourishing mm-hmm. or the environment flourishing? Right. What do you value more? And if you value the the environment flourishing more, then you know it seems pretty legit to not want to maybe propagate the species, you know, more or to have less kids. Uh, Because they're at a a belief that the world cannot sustain more human lives. Yeah. But it is interesting. I mean, just thinking about the. I mean, because. I don't know, because I've been thinking about this with. Even just evolutionarily, like how, what the what having kids does for us and it seems like kids help us to see the future and to plan and to look um, to look into the future and want something better for that's beyond our years Mm -hmm. like uh, to plan more long term and I don't think kids are necessary necessary for that but I think they're a driving factor of that how can I make my kids lives better for them I'm going to, I'm going to orient my actions to, to that, you know, it's like, you know, a few podcasts ago, we talked about immigrants, you know, working really hard here in the U S so that their kids could have a better life than what they had in whatever country they were coming from. And there's something that, you know, but if you don't have kids, if you don't have a future beyond, you know, your, your own breath, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like, what do you, you're more focused on the here and now, you know, generally speaking, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, I think it's easier to have that. I mean, I can see like a lot of different ways to kind of poke holes in that. Cause I mean, it's not that everyone who has kids is looking to plan for the
0: future <laughs> and the betterment of their, <laughs> of their offspring, you know? Well, maybe that's a solid argument for why you should fix the leaky faucet. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to leaky faucet. We talked a lot about leaky faucets before the podcast. Yeah. So it, we were having this conversation at dinner about solving small problems mm-hmm. and whether or not that is very important. Mm-hmm. And I was referencing, uh, Pierzig's Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance, where he tells this story about a couple a friend of married couple friend of his and the, uh, the kitchen faucet had a slow drip, you know, like a drip every five seconds or something something really some seemingly inconsequential, it's just a small little annoyance. And he'd gone over there a number of times. they hadn't fixed it, and he said something to them about it, and they were like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And it, you know it's going to be really expensive and time consuming to fix. And so we're just kind of living with it. And he observes that it's like a lot of those things in your life, the small little annoyances that are easy to ignore, actually have a profound impact hmm. because it's that, slow tiny annoyance over time again and again and again that can ultimately crack you mm. you know and suddenly you find yourself in the kitchen with your spouse and you're arguing about something that happened 15 years ago and it's boiling over into a relationship ending conversation and part of you is like how the hell did we get here you know and maybe it's that small drip that pushes you there mm. Um, and so you posed the question, you know, it's like, so is life just about fixing leaky faucets? Like all these small little problems because they're unending. It's like everywhere you go, there's a leaky faucet. There's a problem, a mm-hmm. small problem. You know, and you, you asked, is it, can you not fix some of them? Just leave some of them be. And I think, yeah, you can, you know, especially as you get older and you get more ingrained in your ways and more um sort of calloused you know you can tolerate a lot more discomfort so you maybe you just like let all the small problems be but what kind of world are you leaving for your children for the next generation you know wouldn't their life be better if the world they emerged into had less leaky faucets
1: well, I guess when I when I think of like there are some faucets who I'll leave you leave, it's dripping in this instance is that there's no, there's an infinite amount of leaky faucets and it's sort of like, like a self-improvement. Like there is no end to self-improvement. You know, what is the optimal you? Um, now there's, there's sort of like a a time frame, which you do, you should be like. If you're not fixing any faucets, leaky faucets, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a problem, you know. But at the same time, it's like there's something that you have to kind of accept that there's a time for everything, you know. Like there's a time for mourning, there's a time for happiness and grief and mm-hmm. all the all the above. And so, um, so I think some in some instances or are, are seasons of life, you kind of have to let certain things be, and. But uh, so that's, that's something that, that, that kind of just makes me think of if you fix all the leaky faucets, is that a good, a good life left, lived, you know?
0: Well, <clears throat> first it's, of all, it's hard. Impossible. It's, <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. When you spend your life working on an impossible task. Is that a life well lived? Well, I think, you know, in a certain way, yeah. But if it's singular, if you're singularly focused on fixing every leaky faucet you come across and you don't pay attention to the things that are working or the larger problems that need addressing, or you don't rest, mm-hmm. you know, anytime you become singular like that, it, it, I don't think that's a life well lived. And maybe mm-hmm. this is sort of the distinction between a worldview and an ideology, hmm. because I think a. uh, a worldview is very hard to define because, in practice, like if you were trying to say what what the Western worldview is, like we can we can talk about it abstractly, and um, but to say exactly what the set of values is is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think an ideology takes a particular subset of values of a worldview and focuses it energy singularly on that Mm -hmm. and says this is everything and if everything is seen through this so it's like back to the racism thing like is racism bad yes is it an important problem to address yes but if you take a view that says it's explanatory of everything and everything and this is how you you arrive at the Ibram X. Kendi statement of there's no such thing as not racist. There is only racist and anti-racist. Everything is engaged in racism in one way or another. Mm -hmm. That becomes an ideology because it sees everything through that subset of things Mm -hmm. rather than having a higher order value of which that subject it says this is the the one high order value and everything must be subject to that. Mm -hmm. That becomes ideology. So I think running around singularly being focused on fixing every leaky faucet is and and (laughs) I don't know, I feel like I should clarify, it's an analogy. (laughs) 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 Totally. It becomes ideological and I think ideologies are by definition pathological. They pervert something which is good within a higher set of values. Hmm. Like addressing racism is good. Stopping it is good. Seeing it where it exists is good, but it's good in the, within the higher order set of values of which includes the individual is the ultimate unit of value and is sovereign, Mm -hmm. you know, if you say everything you know the the highest order good has something to do with racism itself it's like you're leaving out so much of the world that you become perverse Mm -hmm. yeah
1: how would you describe your worldview do you have a Hmm. maybe it's some of it's somewhat inherent in us growing up in the Western worldview mm-hmm. in some degree maybe of course judeo Christian values and
0: stuff yeah you're sort of handed a worldview mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways I mean I do believe in individual sovereignty and I do believe in freedom I also believe in well I love how um uh Man's search for meaning. What's his name? Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl puts it that freedom is just one side of a coin of which the other side is responsibility. Hmm. I think a part of my worldview is also really rooted in that idea that man is created in the image of God. Hmm. Like, I believe that a person should want to and should be actively engaged in being the best version of themselves they can be and should be supported by their family and community and society to do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that support in my opinion is freedom. Yeah. Like freedom to fail, Mm -hmm. freedom to pick yourself up when you do freedom to make mistakes, freedom to have ideas and try them. And if, and and to judge them on their own merits yeah
1: that's interesting like you, you said like you know so our worldview is somewhat also handed down to us and that we uh which is seems very useful and that we don't have to do a lot of work at the beginning to figure out our worldview and then at some point, you know, whether it be your adolescence or college, you start to kind of push against, push back against that worldview to see what, what breaks, you know, if it actually can hold its weight. And it it seems like that's some sort of a valuable thing that as parents, that you give your kids a worldview. I think in some instances today, it's sort of parents. Well, there's two instances. One is parents not giving their kids or, providing their kids with a worldview and the other is the government wants mm-hmm. to provide that worldview for your kids. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more valuable coming from the individual of your parents because it's something tangible and that you can see and that you see them working it out and playing it out and seeing how it works and doesn't work. You know, when the government is is providing that worldview, it's too abstract. It's not, you're not, you're not, you're not in that worldview on a day to day basis, you know, Um, like if your parents, you know, I grew up, you know, my parents were, uh, Christians and, you know, grew up in that, that family and I got to see, you know, firsthand what that worldview looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, but a preacher telling me about how I should act in the world is, doesn't have that sort of like same, um, example of action Mm -hmm. throughout time, reiterated practices, uh, it's it's just words. It's um, it's just um, an ideology that's being spoken, mm-hmm. rather than something that's acted out that I see. So I think that's something that's very important. That our, as parents, we do give our kids a worldview, and then also expect our kids to push back and and see if that worldview actually holds water, mm-hmm. which I think is also helpful for parents because you know, you also get to experience like what part of your world world worldview doesn't, doesn't hold, hold the test of Mm. a 17 year old or a 16 year old. (laughs) Mm.
0: And it seems to me in that case, yeah, you absolutely want to equip your children with a worldview because it's a, it's like basically a cheat code. Mm. It's like a shortcut, Mm -hmm. you know, Because without it, what does the child do? Mm -hmm. How do they know what's good or bad, right or wrong? If they have nothing to judge it against, except for maybe sensory data Mm -hmm. and perhaps first principles. But they would have to discover all of that. You know, it's like... The image I had was you, you take your kid to a public library. And a worldview is like saying here's some good books. You might like these. You should try these. The li- and, and not equipping your child with a worldview is like, here's a library. And just leaving them. Mm-hmm. You know, What's the child to do? There's too many things to look at. There's too, it's like, how are they ever going to discover something good or something that they even like? Um, or age appropriate. Like,
1: hey, here's the kids section. Mm-hmm. Here's the adolescence section. Mm-hmm. Here's a fantasy section within the, You know, it's like, Oh, well, we should try this out. And then a parent guiding their kid as they
0: try yeah. things and learn. I mean, it's almost like, you know, no one says when a kid or very few people, <laughs> let's say when, when a kid is born, we don't like have serious discussions amongst ourselves about what language that kid should speak, you know? <coughs> you want to speak the language, you want them to speak the language that's functional to them. Mm-hmm. You don't have two English speaking parents that are like, we only want this kid to speak French because we like French better. Yeah. You know, that would be a disservice to the kid because the kid lives in a place that speaks English, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, we're going to just go ahead and give you a shortcut. We're not, we're not going to have you try all the languages and see which one you like and then work on that one. Hmm. You're just going to, you're going to speak what everyone speaks. That way you can interact. Mm -hmm. That way you can get past this whole figuring out how to talk thing and get to the talking thing and expressing yourself and saying what you like and what you don't like and adding, you know, adding yourself to the mix of society. Mm -hmm. And I think a worldview is, is largely like that religion serves that too. Mm -hmm. You know, how should you be? I guess we could leave you to figure it out, or we could give you this what we call wisdom here, you know, and here it's it's this this religion in other places it's another one, but it's like let me give you a, a set of values to go with, to mm-hmm. go on. So you've got something. You have something that's pre ordered in this world of chaos. It reminds me of uh, Richard Dawkins' uh,
1: memes and genes. You know, there's 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 the genetic aspects that are passed on from, you know, parent to child that are in our genes. You know, whether it be flight-flight responses, flight-flight or freeze responses, or, um, you know, uh, we're just able to recognize danger sometimes without us even knowing that something is dangerous. Uh, but then we have the mimetic aspect of things where it is embedded in our culture and in our religions and philosophy and worldviews that that are passed on through um, society that help us better function in in a in a way that helps us to prosper um, you know like a a memetic thing is is like you know things they were talking about in religion or um, language you know here's something that's not something that's genetic it's something that you have to learn in order to and be passed passed on to you hmm. um, but in order for you to kind of get the other sub substructure of all those memes those memetic tools that we have in order to function in the world um, like how to use a tool or how to build a house or um, it's like all those things are taught and not not something that's genetic you know
0: yeah well t- I think in a way so <clears throat> Brett Weinstein makes the point that he feels like Dawkins has it wrong that the memes aren't not genetic is mm. that a double negative? yes yeah, I what you're saying though <laughs> yeah um, <clears throat> that the genes propagate themselves partly through culture as, they mu- as much as they do through biology and I, I won't be able to make that argument, but yeah. I just think about like, well, as you said, you know, you're taught how to build a house. Mm-hmm. Like in part, yes, but that's, that's to imagine that being taught is like sitting down and receiving a direct lesson. Mm-hmm. There is so much actually more. I think that we are, that we are taught that we learn that, that we don't know that we're being taught it mm-hmm. or that we learn it. It is a result of experience in the world, and experience in the world among those from which we come. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I would wake up in the morning, and I would almost always wake up to this to to sounds in the kitchen. And it got to where I don't know I was maybe five, six, seven years old. I don't know. It got to where I. Because at that time, I didn't have an alarm. This is pre-phones or whatever. (laughs) um, Nor clock in my room. I could wake up and, based on the sounds in the kitchen, know whether or not I should stay asleep or get up. Mm -hmm. I could know whether my mom or dad were up or both. I could know what they were doing. You know, you learn these things. No Mm -hmm. one's teaching me these. Mm -hmm. This is just a result of exposure. And those sounds are partly cultural, Mm -hmm. but they're also partly genetic. It's like another example. When I was a kid, if I was ever with my dad at the grocery store and I got separated from him, couldn't find him, I could just stop for a little while and listen for his sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) You know, which is, you could make the argument purely genetic in that he sneezes the way that he does because of the biology of his body. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but you learn these things and then you, you actually learn values from them. Like me laying in bed, hearing the the sounds in the kitchen. Well, I learned the value of, um, consistency. Hmm. My parents were always up the value of preparing food. I could hear them preparing food. I was excited to get up and have breakfast and I could even sometimes predict what the breakfast was going to be based upon the sounds. Um, you know, the, the value of the way that you handle dishes, don't smash them around too hard. You're gentle, but not too gentle. You've got a job to do and you've got to get it done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm learning values. They're not being taught directly to me. I'm, I'm, I think that that's my best attempt at an example of how I think memes are at least partly genetic.
1: Yeah. I'll have to go back and and look at a, Argument that I I, I can see certain aspects of that because Dawkins has, um, like he doesn't see really the value of, um, religious memes and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of, yeah, I'll just have to go back and and look at that. But that, but it does make sense. But I mean, it's, it's still like being acted, something being acted out is also, uh, mimetic, you know, as far as, you know, whether it's through sound or sight or hearing, you know, something is being acted out and, uh, some sort of image is being given to you, you know? Um, cause it's also, it's not just the one time, it's the consistency of that action over time that, that we, that we derive meaning from them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, you know, the first time you ever hear some clanking, you're like, what the hell, what's that noise? Right. You know, and you go downstairs and you see, oh, my parents are preparing breakfast. Next time you are like, huh, that sounds familiar. And then after you know, something being acted out over a period of time allows us to form some sort of consistency of
0: uh, of a worldview. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, you start <laughs> interpreting the sounds. Uh-huh. You in- and you start interpreting the sounds based upon a set of values that mm-hmm. you that you learn as you encounter them, mm-hmm. and and that are passed down too. Mm-hmm. You know whether by memes or religion or family tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like my dad had a very uh, strict set of rules at the dinner table about where your elbows were and were not allowed to be, (laughs) you know? Uh, Um, So it's like, you will value this mm -hmm. or you will be sent to your room. So it's like, okay, fine. It's like, I'll play by this set of values. You know, it wasn't until later in my life that, as I got a little bit older into my teens and started having dinners at other people's houses and started being complimented by other parents about my etiquette at the dinner table, hmm. that I thought, oh, wow, that's actually serving me quite well. I'm glad that hmm. I have this yeah. experience and this set of values. But it's like, you know, it, it is taking that... You know, it's 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 sort of submitting yourself to the worldview that's been handed you and then learning how to act it out in the world. And then you can kind of figure out how... To judge whether or not that is a good or a bad thing
1: mm-hmm. that's such a great example like you were taught something sort of a pain in the ass maybe in some regards but then as you start to act it out in the world you see the positive mm-hmm. r- the positive reflection it has back to you and yeah. you're like oh
0: that was useful i'm going to keep that you know mm-hmm. i'm being noticed i'm being uh-huh. complimented mm-hmm. i'm being talked about positively yeah I'm or, being liked and being invited back. Mhm. Yeah, the re
1: reiter- reiterated game too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, cuz there's those there's those negative parts too where, you know, you know, if uh if everyone's always yelling at in your family, you know, and and then you go and yell at other people, you find that other people don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, you might wonder why." Why is that? Yeah. Where In another household, it's like, hey, guys,
0: we're not doing that. We're not yelling at each other like that. We need to talk talk to each other. Which really is a disservice, too, because I think that people are much more likely to tell you the things they like about you than they are to tell you the things they don't like about you. Hmm. So if you're acting out a set of behaviors or a set of values that are being seen negatively by those around you, like it takes a really good friend and trusting person to say to you, like, hey you might want to stop doing this, mm. you know, or somebody's really pissed off at you <laughs> or somebody who's really pissed off. And then you're probably not going to believe them. You're just going yeah. to think they're being an asshole or whatever, yeah. you know, whereas, mm. you know, if you're acting out something positive in the world, you're much likely to get direct feedback about mm. that. So if you are instilling a worldview or set of values into your children, you know, like you said, it's like a household where, is yelling and fighting all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that becomes the default state for that person, that child. Yeah. And they go act that out in the world. It's, it's going to be hard for them to know that that's not working for them, Mm. you know, and it's going to be hard for them to connect the fact that like, Oh, I just don't really have very many good friends. And I was friends with this person, you know, It's like Billy and I were hanging out and then he like left me for this other crew in seventh grade. And Mm -hmm. I don't understand why. And you know, it's much harder to correct that. Mm -hmm. So I think we should take it seriously. Yeah, Cause you almost just
1: think there's strife and the, there's, there's, there's a strife everywhere. So of course this is how this is going to work out, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh wait, there's another way. <laughs> right. There's something different I, that you have a different, I don't result. have to yell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me think that, so I had this experience and, and it reminds me, I think it was like an episode long ago at the very beginning of our podcast, we interviewed a friend of mine, um, who, uh, David Ramirez, he was telling a story about how a really good friend of his came to him and confronted him about some of his behaviors. And he was saying how profoundly thankful he was for that friend to do that. And I had a similar experience in college. I I think it was sort of my year of growing up. I, I... I left the city that I was in college. You know, it's like you leave your home city, or I did. I left my home city and went to a different city to go to college, like 16 hours away. And that's a sort of growing up period. You're on your own. And then one summer, I decided to spend the summer up in Minneapolis with another friend of mine. And that was an even further, not pilgrimage, but like, I guess, exodus or something (laughs) like, you know, into my individuality. And I adopted something there. And when I came back to Nashville, where I was doing my undergrad, I was kind of a different person. Hmm. I just... You know, in a very young way, I had a lot more confidence. But I think that confidence started bleeding over into arrogance. Hmm. And I had a similar experience where I had a good friend of mine pull me aside and say, you're being a bit of an asshole. It's like, I like a lot of the parts of you that have opened up but you didn't have to tell this person that or get on this person for mm-hmm. that, or whatever. It's like you know back it off, yeah, and that really is a gift because it's very unlikely that people are going to say things like that to you. well' also just having a friend like that that kind of saw both parts
1: too, you know it's like, hey, I see mm-hmm. the positive aspect mm-hmm. of that, but also here's something you need to watch out for too, you know I think right. that's sometimes it's just like. You're kind of being an ass, you know, (laughs) Yeah, and you have to parse it out yourself where you're like, okay, what a part of this, I experienced some good aspects of this and, but here's some negative, like you're talking about, you know, confidence versus arrogance, you know, (coughs) that can kind of come across as, um, a positive thing and a negative
0: thing. Yeah. Like the more, <clears throat> so interesting to me how, like, confidence is good. Mm-hmm. You should have it. You should be confident. But there's a lot of dangers too. If you take it too far, you can become an asshole. You can become arrogant. You can become too risk tolerant and hurt yourself. You know, you just like, you want confidence, but in places you don't have skill like tight rope walking, for example, it's like, you don't want to be too confident. (laughs) Yeah. You know, some humility would do you well when your life is on the line and also confidence will do you well because you can, it's like confidence can turn on you, but so can humility. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you're too, too humble, well, maybe you don't act. You need some more confidence. If everything has to be in balance and either one taken too far, can be terrible yeah sort of a it's a false humility that
1: you kind of start to sort of take on you know something that uh that where you should be acting in confidence but you're actually acting as if like oh not me (laughs) (laughs) just little old me like that's not that's that's or like my favorite thing in, in christian circles is like oh it's just, Jesus Jesus. It's all Jesus. I was like, no, you, you did an awesome thing, dude. He's like, no, it's Jesus. Like,
0: mm, yeah. All right. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a different manifestation of it. Yeah. I was thinking about like, um, there was a, a year where my son was maybe five or six Mhm. And he had his first bike and he got pretty good at it. And there's this little skate park here in Austin called house park mm. over on Lamar and 12th. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go there. And so we went there and I kind of watched him ride around and I thought, I want to get in on this. So I went on Craigslist and bought myself a BMX bike. And I remember, um, was riding it around feeling pretty having fun or whatever. And there's like these two ramps, you know, one goes up and then this gap and the other one comes down and, I was thinking, I really want to jump that, (laughs) you know, and when you're in a situation like that, you don't want to be approaching that ramp thinking, I may not get it, you know, Uh it's like, no, you want to completely envision and embody successfully Hmm. going over that ramp. Because if you let doubt go into your mind, which is what I did, (laughs) as you're approaching it, you slow down a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't fully commit and send it. Yeah. You need the confidence to fully commit and send it. And when you don't, you hit the lip of that receiving ramp and you go over the handlebars onto the concrete. <laughs> and then you realize how you're not young anymore <laughs> and that you're done with the BMX bike <laughs> and that it's just fine to sit on the side and watch your son grow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: What <laughs> is interesting, so what do, we, what do we call all these things? So, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of talking about a worldview that that sort of encompasses a lot of these a lot of these ideas mm-hmm. you know because you know you're you you're learning these lessons as far as like you know uh you know arrogance confidence pride humility uh you know you kind of start seeing this sort of like this paradox kind of ha- kind of forming and 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 as a worldview, it's like, how do you encompass those sort of like that large paradox? It seems like in with an ideology, you start, you try to cut, you almost cut through the paradox and make it simple. And like you act in this way where I feel like a worldview has a little bit more of a parameters around it that allows that sort of like, uh, or I, I guess, I guess a, a positive worldview allows those
0: paradoxes or, um, well, here's a good example. Yeah. I think. We'll see. So I think a, a worldview becomes an ideology when it becomes too narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an ideology is just a, a stunted worldview. Mm. So as we were talking about worldviews and I was trying to think of examples, I started thinking, I think the left and the right in America
1: mm-hmm.
0: have very different worldviews. And then I thought, oh, there's the problem. They're not worldviews. They have become ideologies because Mm. the left says we have the right worldview and the right says we have the right worldview. That's why they're ideologies. Mm. They don't see the fact that if their worldview is limited Uh. to their set of beliefs, it it won't be functional because it doesn't include all the people who live in this country. Mm. Your worldview needs to be America is a great place to live. In the in the the bedrock values of America, the the celebration of the individual, the sovereignty of the individual, mm-hmm. the um, division, checks and balances of power, the the ideals of freedom and free markets, these are our worldview. Now, left and right have a different perspective, a different frame of reference on those things, a bit, and mm-hmm. that's great because. You know, we're we're confronted with a very complex world, and okay. I want somebody else to see what I'm not seeing, and we need to talk about that and debate it and hash it out. But our worldview is America.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But now the left says no, our worldview is our position, and everyone else is evil. Mm-hmm. And the right says our worldview is our position, and everything else is evil. It's become a, an ideology.
1: I like how you say that. Like it has to include the other. You know, it's like if it's too narrow and it only includes your group, then something is, is wrong there. I mean, I think that's why like in the West, you know, the Judeo Christian values, you know, just in a, in a broad sense is sort of like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, do us to do do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like it, it has to, it does it's not, it doesn't just directly deal with your people group. It deals with all groups, you know? And, and I think that's something that, um, that has sort of like how you can unite a, a greater people or people group together is by having those higher ideals that do include everyone mm-hmm. and and doesn't exclude anyone they, like I think how you were saying too is like we might have different ideas of how we're going to act those out, but it still includes like the u s includes Republicans and Democrats like. What is that that we're uniting under? And libertarians. <clears throat> libertarians
0: and communists and, communist and <laughs> <laughs> anarchists. <and clears throat> well, traditionally, though, that's, that's, there's a point to be made there, which is that the left and the right shared a worldview. Mm-hmm. The communists didn't. Mm-hmm. And y- yes, there may be communists in the United States, but this is what was sort of hashed out in the 20th century, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what's the better worldview? is it the Western worldview or is it the communist worldview? Mm I mean, that was the entire cold war, um, argument to be made. That was world war two and somewhat world war one as well. But it was, you know, this was sort of the conversation that was happening over that century. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the result was
1: the Western worldview won. Which is interesting. I, I think that's why I mentioned communist and anarchists can live within this worldview because it includes because the, of the
0: values of this worldview, exactly. Right.
1: But if you if if if, if communism or an anarchism becomes the worldview, view, then there's a lot of people that can't function, can't live in that, can't live in that. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why the Western worldview is is so much so much better, and you know, and can be better than. Uh, most other worldviews that we have because hmm. it is it is overarching and it,
0: it allows for other groups within that so interesting I mean speaking of good things gone bad you know like confidence can go bad on you but so can uh, humility and hmm. you know, I think another value of the western worldview is tolerance hmm. but it's interesting because that can go bad too mm-hmm like I think, what you see within the ideology, particularly of the of the communist left, mm-hmm. it, both in history and, and and now in current times, is is a, a banner of tolerance. But I don't remember who coined this term. It's called repressive tolerance. Hmm. It is tolerance for me but not for you essentially and you must be repressed in order to protect the tolerance that I would like to have mm-hmm. which isn't tolerance anymore you know it's like things become inverted mm-hmm. which is why I love um, like both so the idea of uh, stranger things the upside down like there's a there's a there's an inverse of everything good mm-hmm. and things can become that inverse very quickly without you realizing it. Hmm. I also really like the idea of, um, have you ever seen the movie Annihilation Uh with Natalie Portman? Maybe it's like a psychedelic trip. It's crazy. It's a beautiful, uh, like cinematically beautiful film Mm -hmm. and really, really, um, moving. But most of the, visuals in that film are like seemingly normal things whether it be like a tree or an animal or you know whatever but they have somehow turned inside out in ways that are horrifying Hmm. it's like still recognizable as what you think it is but it's you can't assume anything about it based upon your recognition of it okay (laughs) We'll have to watch that, <laughs> and that's and that's kind of I think what happens when when things become perverted. Mm-hmm. You know, you see tolerance, and you think, yes, tolerance is a good thing, and and it's a it's a fundamental value of the American ideal. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, this tolerance is trying to get me to lose my job. This is not what I thought tolerance was. You know. I can't trust it to be what I recognized it to be anymore. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because you can't again, like in a, in a communist situation or even in a more extreme socialism, it requires everybody to participate in that system. Like there's no, there's no leniency to participate outside of that system. So you can't be like, okay, Cool. You guys do your thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a free market thing. It's like where in the United States it's it's free markets, and so you can like say, okay, hey, us 150 people, we're gonna do the communist thing, you know? And we're gonna agree to it, and we're gonna live on this farm and do a, a communist thing. You're like, okay, cool, that's that's cool. It's called a commune. Commune, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that can that can function, but a society that's 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 overarching communist. It's like you can't have anybody not, not performing that society mm-hmm. because it, it it won't it won't hold up. You can't. Yeah. So I think that's really to me that's a, a picture of why the Western uh,
0: worldview is 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 better. Well, that's actual tolerance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like yeah, when when the value is freedom, mm-hmm. like you should be free to yeah. do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. That's tolerance. Yeah, you know. And so it works that there's people that disagree Mm -hmm. because within the worldview that's allowed for. Yeah. But if, if the system you're advocating for doesn't work with people inside who disagree, then you have to expel those people. Yeah. And as things change, which they do because no one can predict the future, more people will disagree and more people will get get expelled. And this is the way the story always goes Mm -hmm. when communism is enacted is that, you know, well, you got to get rid of the people who don't agree for it to work. So you do that. Well, then more, you know, it's like the, the line, the circle constantly uh, contracts Mm -hmm. and you've got to expel more and more people. And then generally you have to kill them too, Mm -hmm. because, they still live in the society and they're individuals. They wake up every morning and have to do something. And so you got to get rid of them. Otherwise they threaten, you know, the system doesn't work, which is amazing that,
1: I mean, even I think that's something that's really cool because like, that's how I think communes or communist, you know, communities would work really well in the United States because instead of killing them or getting rid of them, they can just leave. And go a block away.
0: <laughs> well, that's what we have in the uh, United States. Yeah. You know, it's uh-huh. it's called states. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. true, there's that part too. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. or or even cities. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't like it in Austin. Uh, you know, <laughs> try West Texas. Yeah. Try East Texas. <laughs> They're very different. Yeah, or less. Try Houston <laughs> or Dallas. Uh-huh. You know, you don't like that. Try a different state. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. Whereas yeah. you can't really easily say to anybody in America. Like, if you don't like America, like, go to a different country. You know, it doesn't, it, you can't say that. Because it's like, well, you don't have the worldview. You don't speak the language. You mm-hmm. don't know the rules. You can't function. You don't know how to get a job. It's like, you can't just expel somebody from a country mm-hmm. easily. Or say to, say to the population, hey, if you don't like it, leave. Yeah, It's like, No that's the thing that's made America great and why people for 200 years have been flocking here Mm -hmm. it's that we don't say that we say you know we can tolerate you you don't have to leave Mm -hmm. you may not like this particular group of people or this particular group of people you may not even like our laws and that's okay you don't have to like our laws I think that you can be as free as you want to be with our laws and honestly they're not going to affect you much so long as you're not doing egregious things to other people. Mm-hmm. So live your life the way you want to live your life. Pray to the God you want to pray to. Teach your kids the values you want them to have. Mm-hmm. You know, interact with your friends and family in the way that you want to interact. Eat the food that you want to eat. Cook the food that you want to cook. Drive have sex with the car you have want to drive. With. <laughs> yeah, have sex with everyone. you want to have sex with. You know, or maybe you don't like cars at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe horse and buggy is your speed totally cool with us yeah (laughs) totally you know we don't get it Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle's probably going to joke about it but like (laughs) you know have at it yeah and that's what makes this country great Mm -hmm.
1: well it's interesting because like even in even in you stating that sort of like that's the worldview and you can always hear people say how a lot of those things have gone wrong it's like well that's the whole thing is with freedom comes responsibility and you know we have laws in order to and should hold people accountable to not fulfilling that worldview. You know, if a, if a cop does violate somebody in a way that's not according to our laws and is infringes on your freedom, like there's courts and stuff to, Mm -hmm. to, uh, to take those, those claims to, you know? And again, I mean, there's, there's plenty of things uh, that do, are go wrong, but it's like
0: <laughs> it's. It's. I would it, say that there's more things that go right. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. Than have ever gone right in any other society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that's a it's a bold claim. I mean, I, I I I I think the same thing. But it's a. Well, really I was thinking earlier when we were talking about the 20th century and the wars that have happened, and I said that that was a conversation about the Western worldview versus the communist worldview Mm -hmm. and that the Western worldview won. And you could say, well, you know, we had more firepower. We won by brute force. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not exactly true. Like it ended up being true if you take a snapshot in time and say, Well, we won the World War II because of this or Mm -hmm. the Cold War because of this. But you know, why did we have more firepower? You know, it says something about the values and ideals that we have. You know, it's like the Navy SEALs are the most effective strike force on the planet. Why is that? You know, and how do you train somebody to be a Navy SEAL? Yeah. Why did we ever come up with the program in the first place? Who said, you know, here's the way that you're going to live if you want to be a Navy SEAL? Who, who established those values? And how far back do you have to take that to understand how you got to an elite squad like that? Hmm. And I think you have to go back, probably, to some of these, well, individual value based decisions, you know, that from which emerged things like the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War, from which emerged this, like, mind bogglingly young group of people who established a system of governance based upon these values and codified that into documents Hmm. and then went and fought and died for it and then grew up and went and fought another war over slavery, you know, and then grew up and went and fought another war. It's like you're fighting for a set of values and you're refining yourself over time and you're refining society and you're refining the systems that enable you to, have dialogue about this, whether that dialogue is happening via, you know, art and debate or foreign policy or markets or markets Mm -hmm. or, or who is going to win in a firefight Mm -hmm. or who can build the largest bomb. All of that, I think, is, is emergent from a, a worldview and a, a set of values, and I think that the Western worldview won that argument, <clears throat> and we're going to have to have it again. Yeah, and we, you know, I feel like we're having it with ourselves right now. Like, yes, you know, yes.
1: in the U.S., I hear, see that. Like, it, are these Western Judeo-Christian values worth preserving? Mm-hmm. Is are these beneficial to us as a society? And I think that's it seems something that has has come under fire, and that needs to be hashed out, and and there may be some fat that needs to be burned off. But it's like, it's like my hope is that we can kind of come to a more pristine, you know, view world view as a nation, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think, I think we need people who are willing and able to. Articulate and espouse that worldview and the values that undergird it in a compelling way. It's like back to the C.S. Lewis quote, we tend to praise or dispraise rather than to describe and define. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need someone to praise our own values and our own worldview in a way that reunites us under that worldview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't see that like I see it from some people but not on a grand level and 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 actually that's really interesting because the the communist Marxist worldview has within it a rejection of grand narratives Mm. and it's exactly what we're in need of yeah in in my worldview, <laughs> in my view, yeah. Well, you definitely have to. I mean,
1: in, especially in the Marxist worldview, you have to have the antagonist. You know, the the bourgeois, or the the oppressor, and their oppressed. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you you that that is a part of that worldview that thinks very harmful. Where in a, in a Western worldview is like, you know, when you're called to leadership. Like that's what you're called to is leadership. You need to lead the people, and uh, and it's responsibility, and it's a public service. You're a public servant, and uh, you know these words that are like that. You know, you're to serve the American people. You're elected by the American people for the people by the people. It's like there's all these words and verbiage that are built into hmm. our worldview as a, in, in in the United States specifically that I feel like we've kind of lost touch with and our leaders have lost touch with too. It's, you know, what is this government? It's for the people, by the people, you're a servant of the people. Mm -hmm. And so that was a question I was was kind of asking myself this week is like, Hey, Michael, what do you serve? And it was really interesting. I I feel like that's something I need to, to kind of think again on, Mm -hmm. you know, like everybody serves something or someone. And you cannot uh that's something that you you can't sidestep, you know, I think that's something that we're all made to serve something
0: well whether we're made to serve something or not, we do serve something. Mm-hmm. Whether we know what that is or not. Yeah, true. I mean, we are acting according to a set of values. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking just then, I thought, what's well, really interesting, it's like, what does a leader do? He leads. To where? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the big question. Hmm. To where? Well, hopefully to someplace good. Well, how do you know it's good? You judge it by a set of values. How do you know what values to have? Well, the leader's job is partly to sell you on those values. Hmm. Like, convince us, unite us. A oh, good point. That the place that we're going is good, that the values that we're using to judge it are good, hmm. and then we will judge you against the values you've you've rallied us around about whether or not you've been a good leader. Dude, that's such. Uh, I, I
1: was thinking about that this week, and it just hit me. It was just sort of like. You know, you have like it, like like you can be like, oh, everybody else is so stupid. Just do what I want. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what's best for you, but I do. But in our system, it's sort of like you think you know what's best for everyone. You have to convince them, and if you can convince them it's best for them, then that's the direction that you get that you go. However, well, that also can backfire. In like, yeah. You know, it's like, but that's the p- part of it is, is like the ideas in that system is that the better ideas and the better um, argument
0: should take the day. Well, that's exactly what a, a free market is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because if you can convince someone, like really convince someone, yeah. they'll actually cooperate with you. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to force anybody. You yeah. don't have to... Like you don't have to require anything Hmm. if someone believes, and this is the amazing thing about a belief, and and it's why I I'm generally very dubious about the criticism of religion based upon the idea of belief. Like John Mayer has that song called "Belief." Um, I know you don't know who John Mayer is. (laughs) Only that you mentioned. Um, and what is his line? basically he's like dogging on the idea of belief. Mm-hmm. Like belief is a superstition. You know, it's a fairy tale. Like nobody ever changes their mind because of some story somebody told, you know? And I think, no, that's not right. All human action is based on belief. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you set up a goal You know, and you could say almost arbitrarily. You set a goal arbitrarily, fine, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's nested within a set of values, and you say to to achieve, like we have to do something, and in order to do something that isn't bad, but rather good, we're going to set this goal. And I believe that if we reach this goal, then things will be better. I mean, that's belief. Mm -hmm. It's faith. Like, you cannot act in the world at all without belief. Yeah. So, the fact that that got... It's like, what's the word? Expressed and fleshed out and embedded in analogies and parables and texts that people now interpret that like, makes perfect sense to me mm-hmm. it's a it's a description of the way that we act in the world yeah
1: i mean it goes back to that sam harrison uh, jordan peterson argument like facts and um, facts and value it's i think that's when i what i'm hearing you say is sort of like you you interpret facts through your values so you have a set of facts and it's like what you value it's going to inform that or or challenge that, yeah. But at some point, you have to formulate what that what those facts are telling you, and uh, a lot of times that comes through your worldview, is how I, you interpret I, the facts.
0: Not a lot of times. I think yeah, every, every time, time. Yeah. there's no other way to interpret, mm-hmm. and you have to interpret, yeah, because a fact is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Meaning is only assigned once it's incorporated into the Mm worldview is this helping us toward the place we want to go or hindering us yeah is this a tool or an obstacle
1: well i do say that with your beginning uh statement about um like climate you know it's like human prospering or the environment prospering and
0: how you interpret the facts through those two different lenses. It's actually not exactly right. It's not one prosper versus the other prosper. It's human flourishing versus environmental impact. Okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah. It's an important distinction to make because like there's trade-offs and it isn't that if humans flourish, well, if it isn't that if humans prosper, the environment won't prosper Mm -hmm. or that if the environment prospers, humans won't prosper. Mm Mm-hmm. It's human flourishing versus environmental impact, because the, the the opposite worldview from valuing human flourishing says that any impact on the environment by humans is bad. That's gotcha. right. The world would be better with no humans on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you definitely interpret the the facts
1: differently depending on those right. on those uh, on those worldviews. Right. Yeah.
0: Alright, I think we've reached the end. Yeah. That was interesting. It was. Yeah. Worldview.
1: Went
0: right. to places I didn't expect to go. I
1: know. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All
0: right. Love well, cheers. You guys. Cheers. Happy Wednesday night. Definitely. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye.